0: Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Chasing Heroin. You guys are gonna love today's guest, my friend Brett. He's actually the host of a recovery podcast also called Recovery Survey. He's on all the same platforms that we are, Spotify, Apple, all the other places. He also hosts on Monday nights, there's there's a Facebook page called Recovery Revolution. And on Monday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern, he interviews somebody live. I had the opportunity to do that also. They're like two or three hour conversations about recovery. And it was just, it was a joy to chat with Brett. He, and I say this in the podcast too, in the episode, he speaks with, there's like an air of kindness about him and he just speaks with integrity and purpose and compassion and he's knowledgeable. He's coming up on seven years, December 26th, and he was just a joy to have on the show. I know that you guys are gonna love his episode. And the review for the week this week is, the title is, Teaches Compassion and Empathy. This podcast really explains the addict's thinking really ignites compassion and empathy for people who are in addiction thank you so much for your kind words keep submitting reviews you guys it helps us going too. honestly like when i see your reviews i think okay all right okay people are getting some out of this so i'm gonna keep going but more than that you're helping the unknown addict who's who's looking and maybe searching for some solution so thank you guys so much i hope you enjoy the episode Thank you guys so much for joining me for another episode of Chasing Heroin. My name is Janine. I'm an alcoholic addict in recovery. My sobriety date is January 15th, 2015. And today I'm super stoked. We have the host of Recovery Survey Podcast, my friend Brett. And I got to be on his podcast a few months ago, but I don't know his story. I got to share mine, and but he's become a resource for me too. We both talk about like podcasting and specifically like recovering podcasting and getting guests and all that kind of stuff, which has been really nice for me. So welcome to the show, Brett.
1: Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here.
0: And I'm excited to hear your story because you have such a, there's a kindness about you that it's very hard for me to see you like tweaking out and taking apart stereos or like stealing from family members or, you know what I mean? Like it's hard for me to see any of that stuff. So I'm excited to hear your story.
1: Yeah. And it's hard for me to see that side of myself as well. And you know, I've been confronted by a few people about things that I did when I was using and like the other day, a few weeks ago now, my, my sister and I went to lunch and, and she brought up an event where I had been kind of violent and, and a little bit crazy. And, you know, it's hard for me to even fathom that I was that person before and, you know, compared to the person I am today, it's just, it's just mind blowing to me that, that I can be both of those people.
0: Have you made like an official amends to her or was that one of the first times something like that had come up? Cause you've got seven years now, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. I haven't made an official amends. Um, and I feel like family making amends to family is, is kind of different than making amends to just, you know, like a friend or a coworker or an employer or something. Uh, there's just something that's a little bit different about that for me. And, you know, right now I'm kind of in the point where I'm still working on doing that, that living amends and and proving to them that that this time is, is legit. Like I'm actually done using drugs this time because there's been several, several instances, you know, before I got this seven years that I have now where I, where I would be good for six months, a year. And, you know, I want them to know that this is, this is it. I don't want it to just be another empty promise or, you know, I don't want to just, I, I want to make sure that this is it. And, you know, I know, I know for me in my heart, like I know that I'm done with drugs and that I'm, I'm, I'm done, but I want them to, to realize that that it's legit.
0: I think like you said too, making amends to family members too, like I am. Um, and she listens to this, so she's going to hear this, but like my mom and my stepdad, my mom and her husband, like I actually haven't had a sit down moment, right? Like looked them both in the eyes and said X, Y, and Z happened what do we do how do i make it up to you it's just the weight of that seems so heavy it's not like i owe her 150 bucks right like i owe her my life and like 50 grand yeah. <laughs> you know it's like there there they kind of aren't and so and i've been not necessarily avoiding it but the the thought of that is so 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 heavy and overwhelming it's hard for me to even like talk about it right now and again she'll she'll actually hear this but like It's with it's been challenging for me to do that. I did send an amends letter to my brother, actually. I sent one to him. I emailed him. But I didn't stolen anything from him. We don't live in the same place. It was just like long distance various disappointments, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing that I was a drug addict. So it was like, sorry, I put you through that, you know. But like I didn't break into his house, take his car, you know, none of that stuff. Or my father, because they both live in Georgia. I agree. I think that for with family it's just different. It's like a whole different level, you know, when that process comes up. So let's, let's get into it. What is your, um, what's your story? Why don't you give us a brief background of, you know, who you are, where you're from, how you got started using, how, how you got into your addiction.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so a lot of people say I have an accent. I don't really hear it. Um, you had a previous guest that was Southern and I could definitely tell he was from yeah. the South. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, no hate. He had a great story to share. Um, but I he had I, a great accent. Yeah. yeah, he did. He did. Um, but I, I was born and raised in Texas right here in the center of the Bible belt. And, um, you know, I was, I was homeschooled, which is another weird, um, aspect of my story. Um, I don't, I don't usually say that. I don't think I've ever publicly said that. Cause I feel like that's kind of weird. Grew up in like a very religious house. My dad was a police officer and, uh, from like the late nineties to the mid two thousands, he was, uh, in the narcotics division as an undercover cop. And so, um, you know, we didn't really talk a lot about, about drugs and alcohol. It was just kind of known in our household that that's not something that you do. And, um, you know, I, and for whatever reason, I guess it's my addict mind, like, when you tell me not to do something, that's exactly what I want to do. And I was going through adolescence and didn't really feel like I belonged, didn't really feel like I had a place in the world. Um, you know, I was kind of socially awkward cause I was homeschooled and wasn't around a lot of kids. And, you know, I had some friends in that, in that circle and church circles and just never really felt a sense of belonging, never really liked who I was. Um, and, uh, started working a job, a little part-time job when I was like 14. And some of the guys would smoke weed after work. And then, you know, after a little while they invited me to come along and, um, you know, started smoking weed with them after work and felt, felt like I had kind of found a sense of belonging. I felt, felt like I had found some people that, that wanted me around. And, and I liked the way I felt when I got high and I, I just kind of liked that escape. Um, and that continued through all of high school and, you know, I'd smoke weed after work and go to parties on the weekend and get drunk. And, you know, that was just kind of, um, just kind of what became normal for me. Uh, and, and there was also that element of like, you know, that rebelliousness and like, you know, fuck you dad. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Like, I don't care what your career is. I don't care what you, what you think or what you believe in. And, um, you know, just kind of feeling like I was getting away with something by, by getting high and, and coming home high and drunk and whatever, and like trying to hide it from him and hide it from my mom. And just kind of, it just kind of felt like a game to me in the beginning. And it was just, it was fun. It was fun in the beginning. Um, so fast forward a little bit and I, I went off to college, um, real 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 briefly um I actually got <laughs> kicked out during my second semester so I didn't really What school did you go to? I I went to a Christian school here in Dallas um I don't even know why I went. I had no interest in going. I just wanted to get out of my parents' house and didn't really know didn't really know what else to do cuz everybody was going to school and I had no no I had no real interest in going to college or furthering my academic career cuz You know, the first 12 years had been really weird, Uh, you know, mostly learning at my kitchen table. Like, I wanted nothing to do with school. Uh, (laughs) I still can't believe that I just – that I admitted on this podcast that I was homeschooled. I've never – Never admitted that before um, that's interesting
0: that you just admitted that today for the first time that's fascinating i'm I'm honored that you shared it here, but I think that that's probably a big part of your story like you said because you're not around as many kids and you're not socialized and then you meet people. Where were you working at fourteen? What
1: job was that i got a I got a job at the church that my parents attended actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's where kids were smoking weed. I thought you were going to tell me dairy queen or something like no, that. So no, it was no. your church friends. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. It was, oh, wow. it was it, it's a big, it's a big mega church and there's, I mean, they have hundreds of people on staff and it's, it's a, it looks like a mall from the, from the interstate. Like it's a huge complex with, I don't even know how many buildings they have, you know, thousands of members. And that's
0: where the kids were smoking weed. The, the people that you worked with. Yeah. You know, so I was super involved in my, and it's so, you're from Texas, I'm from Georgia. And in Georgia, like one of the questions you asked people when you met them was what church do you go to? What church do you go to? And you either went to the Catholic church, the Methodist church, the Lutheran church. We had a few Mormons, but like that was a conversation. And I can remember there were only, there were like maybe two families that didn't go to church. Everybody else went to a church and I was really involved in mine too. I was really involved in my youth group, but we, we drank, that's who I first drank with too, was my church youth group actually.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. And that is, it's, it's really a cultural thing. I think down here in the South is everybody goes Mm -hmm. to church and, uh, you know, it doesn't really make a difference. Like you can still get high, still get drunk and, and still be like a, a church member or whatever. Like it's, it's just part of our culture in the South. Um, so yeah, it's interesting.
0: I'm actually really grateful for that, though, because I had a and my parents weren't overly strict with it. Like a lot of people that were raised pretty connected to church end up with some like resentments around the church. And I didn't have that. My parents were super. It was like a moderate understanding of Christianity. Basically, it was not overly strict. My parents were super. I don't know, I I actually became very grateful for it later, because it was a little bit easier for me to connect to the concept of a higher power later, because I had been raised with that growing up and not in a daunting, strict way, right? So for me, I'm, I'm happy that we were, you know, that I was raised in that manner. You know, I know not everybody feels that way. But for me, I think it was kind of a good thing.
1: Yeah, I, I had the total opposite uh, experience. Yeah, okay. And, and, and I, I struggled. I struggled with the higher power concept for a very long time in in recovery, and I think I still at times can have some hangups. But for the most part, I, I think I've gotten over it. But it took several years to to get over all that. Uh-huh. Question: I yes. have had
0: so many guests whose parents are cops. One of their parents are cops. Do you think that there is a do we think it's just a coincidence because you look at the number of addicts that are in the world and you look at the number of people whose vocations are police work and it's going to shake out that cop parent kid addict. You think it's totally coincidental or do you think that there's a little bit of a connection there with somebody whose parents are in law enforcement and they get driven into doing drugs or do we think it's just a coincidence? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence. I know, especially like, teenage years, I, I, it kind of gave me a sense of like, I could get away with more. I felt like, um, I felt like I kind of had to get out of jail free card, so to speak. Like, you know, the town that I live in is it's a smaller town. Like it's one of those towns where it's not quite small enough where everybody knows everybody. Cause it's gotten a little bit bigger in the last 10 or 15 years, but it's a small enough town that all the cops know each other and you know, if, mm-hmm. if I did have like a little run in, I could drop my dad's name and they knew who he was. And usually it'd be like, Oh, Hey, yeah, no, don't worry about it. Like I can't tell you how many speeding tickets I've gotten out of and you know, just like stupid oh, shit. So I feel yeah. like there was a little sense of, of invincibility that came along with, with his occupation. And then, you know, then they wouldn't question, you know, why are you, why are your eyes red or whatever? It's like, Oh, right. you know, I, I just got off of work. It's, it's a bit long shift, whatever. Like you could make up an excuse. And since your dad's a cop, they're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like they're not going to pursue right. that, that line of questioning.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense that you feel a little bit more like maybe less that it's like some like massive rebellious act and more that like, it's probably going to happen with teenagers. And then you might have the sense of like, plus my dad's a cop. So like, I got it like that, you know, like something like that. Okay. So you're in college, you leave college because you said you went there really briefly. So what was that? What happened that brought you back home?
1: Yeah. Didn't, didn't leave by choice. Um, (laughs) yeah so so the college experience was um i didn't really care anything about going to class and i was finally living on my own i had some roommates and uh you know one of my roommates was a recovering heroin addict at the time um who ended up relapsing and then a couple other friends that i had made in school were also into into getting high and so that would just kind of open up the doorway um you know, the part of town that we had an apartment in was not the best, uh, not the best part of town. There was a lot of drugs in that area and it just kind of became a free for all. It was like, let's, let's try whatever we can get our hands on. Let's do, let's, let's do some experimenting and, you know, went through phases with psychedelics and uppers and downers and just whatever, whatever we could get our hands on, we were, we were doing. And, um, that's, that's really the reason why I got kicked out of school. Cause I wasn't showing up to class. And when I would show up to class, I was just completely out of my mind on drugs and I didn't care.
0: So the school dismissed you academically, you got yeah. academically yeah. dismissed. Okay. Yeah. I think I got what on, did you do?
1: yeah, I think I got, I think I got on academic probation. Like the third week sure. I was in school, <laughs> it was, it was really fast. And somehow, like, I uh-huh. stayed under the radar until the second semester. And and by the second semester, they were like, hey, you got to go. So, yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> so what did you do? Did you go back home? Where did you go from there?
1: No, no. I stayed in that same apartment with the same roommates and uh, got a job at a pizza shop. And, um, you know, that that seemed like the perfect uh, perfect job for for somebody that's an addict because it's not really a lot of responsibility. You're by yourself a lot. You can get high whenever you want. Um, I also quickly figured out that I could also sell a little bit of weed on the side while I'm making my deliveries and kind of uh, supplement my income from my using. So I was delivering pizza and weed for a couple of years and, um, and then I ended up moving in the, the living situation changed. I, I moved in with some, with some different people and, um, and my, one of my roommates was actually a meth dealer and I didn't know that before I moved in with him. Uh, he, well he wasn't selling, it's a weird story. So I moved into one house with him and a couple other people. He wasn't dealing at the time and then something, their lease ended and then he and I and a couple different people then moved to a different house. And when we moved to that other house is when he started dealing, um, which kind of started about the same time uh, that I started using meth pretty heavily. Like I had used it a few okay. times here and there. Um, but then I have a dealer that lives down the hall for me and let's just like game on. Um, and that for was, sure, yeah. And that was perfect because that was, that was the, that was my favorite drug that I had tried at that point. I had, I had tried hallucinogens. I had tried heroin. I had tried crack. I had, you know, I tried everything and, and meth was, was my favorite out of everything I had tried. And now, <laughs> Here's a guy that lives at the end of the hall that, that has what, what's seemingly an unlimited supply of, of meth. So I was like, Oh man, this is perfect. Um, (laughs) didn't, didn't, uh, didn't go very well, but it seemed perfect at the time. And, uh,
0: totally my, a good friend of mine lived with our heroin connect Yeah, and it was great. I would just go over to his house and the connect lived in the house. I mean, he ended up getting really irritated with us cause we'd get fronts, and then we couldn't pay him back, but we were all friends and he lived there and blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, in the beginning it seems like, cool, this is perfect. You know, it was like my good buddy. And then his roommate was the connect, you know, is that when your Matthews really escalated?
1: yeah, that's when it really, it really took off. Cause at the time I would, at the time I was, I was still getting high, but I didn't really have, I guess, like a drug of choice. If we want to use that kind of language, I just kind of used whatever I could get my hands on. I was drinking pretty heavily then, um, and using Coke, but I hadn't really, didn't really have the connection to meth. Cause the guy that I was buying Coke from didn't sell meth. Um, but I had done it a few times here and there. And then, then when my living situation changed, that's when my, my using just took off. And, and I feel like my addiction went to a whole new level. And that's when, that's when, you know, stealing started to come in and, and, you know, just some of those behaviors that come with our addiction started to come in. And I started to do things that I had in like this list in my head that I would never do. You know, when I first started using like their, you know i i said i'd never use meth i said i'd never use heroin like there were all these things that i said i'd never do i'll never steal you know like all these things and here i am i, I just it's like i'm checking them off the list just like going down the list of things that i'm never going to do and i'm doing them um and and my life started to spin out of control and and i and i realized it it i guess it was about a year and a half into my meth use like i i realized that my life was was out of control and i didn't like where I was. I didn't like where my life was going, but I didn't know how to stop. And so I called my sister who, who lived in pretty close by and, and told her everything like, Hey, I've been smoking meth. Like, I don't know how to stop. Like, obviously she knew something was going on. Like there had been other instances, you know, I think I showed up to Thanksgiving once loaded and, and my dad called me out and, 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 And it was just like, you know what? Fuck you. Like, I'm not coming back. Like, that's, I think that was the last time that I'd ever gone to a, to a family event. And, you know, there were, there were instances where people, people in my life knew that I was using, they didn't know the specifics of my drug use, but they knew that I was using. And so I called her and I pretty much just kind of like laid it all out there for like, Hey, this is what's been going on. I want to stop. I don't know how, like, my, my roommate's a dealer. Like I, I don't know how, I don't know what to do. I don't have any money. I, I, you know, and she's like, Hey, you can come crash on my couch. Um, so, so I, so I move, I move into her house and I'm, I'm sleeping on her couch and I'm trying to kick meth and I don't really know how I don't know anything about 12 step fellowships. I definitely don't have the money to go to a rehab. I don't really want to do like the, the state funded program. Cause that sounds terrible. Um, So, so I kind of came up with my own little program and I, I, I weaned myself off the meth and I just start drinking like bottles of liquor at a time. (laughs) Sure.
0: Fair. Totally fair. (laughs) I tried to get off Coke by smoking meth. Oh, yes. Nice. I did Coke for a few years in LA and then I found meth and I was like, okay, I wrote on my calendar and my room at 23 in LA and Marilyn Monroe calendar. Cause I was get a Marilyn Monroe calendar and I had X the days I was going to do meth. I was going to allow myself to do meth three days in the month, but not do Coke at all. And It's so crazy to me now that I wrote that out as, like, a plan, but it's, like, the definition of in the big book where it says, you know, tried to only drink on weekends or switch kind of liquors or, like, when you read that, it sounds really old-fashioned, but it's really, like, many of us tried to swap something for another, and I, at 23, totally tried to swap meth a few times a month for my daily coke use, which... It actually kind of worked, but I was still drinking and smoking weed. I, and I moved. I had also lived with somebody with a constant connection, and I had moved out. So I think that you know had more to do with it. But so you're living at her house, and your solution was to just switch to drinking.
1: Yeah, and that obviously anybody that's in in long term recovery knows that that doesn't work. Like you said, the the line in the big book. I, I'm not familiar with that one because I. I don't really know the big book that well, but there's another line in in the NA literature that says something that's very similar. And it talks about, you know, switching one drug for another or trying to limit our usage. And, you know, that was exactly what I was trying to do, but I didn't have the tools or the resources to realize that at the time. Um, And at the same time, I I still have that pizza delivery job. So now I'm, I'm drunk all the time and I'm delivering pizza, (laughs) which is not a good combination. So um, I did that for, about man, I the 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 time is really blurry. Like I I still have like big gaps where I can't remember things um in my life. But I would say that 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 probably lasted for six weeks, eight weeks. I don't know where I was trying to to come off a of meth and and substituting it with liquor. And um I was on a I was on a run taking taking some pizza. It was on Super Bowl Sunday and uh i passed out behind the wheel of, of my truck and uh i sideswiped three parked cars and i guess when i when i passed out i i pulled the wheel to the right um so i bounced off three parked cars and then uh i went through somebody's front yard through their fence <sighs> and ended up uh ended up going through the front of their house um that was a super bowl sunday and and i i just remember i got out of the truck and i didn't 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 fully grasp like the reality of what had just happened i didn't realize the damage i had caused you know the fact that i could have killed myself or or anyone that was in the area you know fortunately i didn't hurt anybody i just i just did a lot of property damage um and i remember getting out of the truck and and the people that lived in the house like came out to check on me and so they were home they were they were home, they were home but, house. but fortunately they were in another room watching the super bowl not in the room that i hit um I just remember your
0: truck go into their house, like wheels on carpet inside their house.
1: Yes. The front, like the, like the nose, like the nose of my truck was in, in their, in their home. Um, I just remember, I just remember like, Hey, asking them like, Hey, does anybody have a cigarette? (laughs) Like I'm about to go to jail. I lost my pack of smokes in the crash. Like I want to get one last cigarette in before I go to jail. Um, Oh my God. Like I had enough, I, there was enough there mentally that i knew i would fucked up and i'm going to jail and this was going to be my first time going to jail cuz i had that that like get out of free jail get out of jail free card where i'd you know name drop my dad and get out of whatever uh but i knew this time that it was serious enough that there was no way that i was going to get out of this one and um and and i had i had a pipe that was still in the truck and i think i might have <gasps> had and i had like there was stuff in the truck, and I'm like, man, I'm I'm fucked. Like, this is not good. Um, And for whatever reason, did they
0: reason, give you a cigarette? I have to know. Did they give you a cigarette? No. Did one of them have a smoke?
1: No, they didn't. Damn. They didn't. And uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. And so the cops show up, and and they they do like the whole field sobriety test, all that shit. And I I just remember telling them like, hey, I'm drunk. Like, I'm not gonna pass any of these. Like, I. I pretty much just gave up. I was like, I am i don't even want to try like the standing on one foot or any of that bullshit. Like I don't feel good. I just had a wreck. Like just put me in the back of the car, man. Like I'm done. Um, and so that was really the first time that I fully detoxed was in County jail. And, uh, I was in County for about a week before I was released. And, and then I got put on probation for a couple of years and Uh, you know, it wasn't a great process. You know, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy the detoxing in jail, but, but the one thing that I can look back on from that experience that really was beneficial is one of the stipulations of my probation was that I attend 12 step meetings twice a week. And, uh, you know, that was, that was my first introduction to recovery, you know, and, and, and I still, I went in with a pretty closed mind. I didn't, I didn't think that I had a problem. I thought that my problem was meth. And then, you know, maybe, maybe also alcohol, but, you know, maybe one day I can smoke weed or maybe one day I can, you know, do shrooms or, you know, all these stupid ideas that we have. Um, and I just wasn't on board with the, with the addiction is a disease concept. Like I just hadn't, I didn't, I didn't think that was real. I didn't think I had a problem even though all the evidence in my life was to the contrary. I mean, I just parked my truck in somebody's house and I don't think I have a problem, you know, like what the fuck? Right. Of course I have a problem. Like who am I trying to kid? Um, but I ended up having to move back in with my parents. So I'm back in the, in the town where my dad's a cop. Um, and I'm on probation. And, and once again, I have that same idea of like, Oh, I, I have this get out of jail free card. Cause, uh, Cause my dad's a cop and I'm back in my hometown and I continue to drink and, and drive without a license and just continue on in this pattern of stupidity. Um, go into meetings drunk, like, like what am I doing? And and I remember like telling bartenders like, "Hey, make sure I don't get too drunk because I'm on probation." Like just being <laughs> fucking stupid. Like what are you doing, man? Uh, you know, like <laughs> I, I I'm on I'm on probation for a DWI. Like don't overserve me. Like what the, f- just stupidity, man. Um, so I continued to use a little bit for about two years while I'm on probation, mostly mostly drinking because I I I did know that I had to take drug tests. Randomly, so I didn't want to do anything too crazy and and lose my my room at my parents' house, and you know, like I, I I sort of saw the seriousness of the situation, but at the same time, like I still hadn't fully grasped just how serious it was. Um, and I was still going to meetings twice a week and and getting my paper signed, and most of the time I was playing on my phone and wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention. Um. But fortunately, like I made a few connections in the rooms and there were a few, there were a few guys there that actually cared about me and would invite me to go to different events and would invite me to go out to eat and stuff. And I would never go to the events. Cause why do I want to listen to anything more about recovery? Like I, I got my paper signed, leave me alone. Um, but you know, if, if you're offering to buy me a burger or, or a piece of pizza or something, I might go and listen to you talk for a little bit. So I had built a few relationships in, in the rooms and, and my life had it, I, it hadn't gotten any better. You know, I was on probation. I was still getting drunk mostly pretty much every day. And, 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 and I was miserable and, and I got to this place in my life where I was just suffering with depression and, and, you know, I was contemplating suicide and I didn't know what else to do. Um, and I went out on, it was, uh, it was Christmas actually. Cause my, my clean date is 12, 26, 2014. I went out on Christmas oh, cool. day yeah. I went out on Christmas day after, after the family festivities. Um, and I went to the, to the local bar and just got absolutely annihilated. And, uh, and I, and I showed up hung over to a meeting the day after Christmas. And I remember one of the guys pulled me aside and he's just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, seriously, what are you doing? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I can tell that you've been using, I can tell you're hung over. Like, what are you doing, man? And for whatever reason, like when he pulled me aside and like had this conversation, like something hit home. I was like, you know what? He's right. And, And it's like those little seeds that had been planted and those little recovery sayings and the things that I had heard in the meetings, even when I wasn't really paying attention, like everything, it just like it all came to a head and it was like, man, I need to do something different. And, and, you know, I told him, I was like, man, I've, I've been thinking about killing myself. Like I, I, I don't have a reason to live. Like, I don't know what else to do. And, uh, and he was like, well, why don't you actually give this recovery thing a chance, man? He's like, give it a year. And see what happens like don't use for a year get a sponsor do some step work like actually be involved in the program and see what happens Um, you know and here I am seven years oh well I don't want to say seven almost seven years later man I haven't had a drop of alcohol haven't had any drugs like my life is completely different.
0: Wow. So you hadn't, cause I was actually going to ask you that cause you've mentioned off air, you'd get six months, you'd get a year here and there, but not, this was the first time you ever like got a sponsor and worked steps and like did recovery. This was the first time this period of sobriety.
1: Yeah. In the beginning on probation and stuff like I, I had a sponsor because that was another requirement is that I have a sponsor, but, and, and you see it a lot at meetings somebody that has like a few days more than you will like be your sponsor on paper or whatever. And like talk to your PO on the phone. So I never really had like a real sponsor. Um, I think, I think the guy that I asked to be my sponsor at one point, we like read the steps out of the book and called that working steps. Like we didn't actually do anything, but I was like, yeah, I'm working steps. Like I read them.
0: So let me, the guy that pulled you aside, is there any relevance to it being him that said that or like, who is he to you? Or is it just a guy that you kind of knew and you were ready to hear it?
1: Uh, he was one of the guys that I had gotten really close to and, and he had a similar story to me and, and he had been in and out of the rooms for forever. Um, I, I don't know how many times he relapsed, but he had, he had relapsed multiple times and, 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 for whatever reason, like I, I believed him when he said that, that this life was better than, than going back out. Cause he had, he had done it time and time again. I, I mean, I, I had watched him relapse several times just in, in the, in the two years that I had, that I had been going to meetings a couple days a week. And, and I think at that point he maybe had like a, nine months or a year clean. And he was just like, dude, you gotta do something different. And, and it, it felt real cause it was, it was him and I had seen him, I had seen him at his lowest and then, you know, come in, pick up like a 30 day tag and then go back out. And I'd seen him do that same cycle over and over again. And so to hear him say that you got to try it, like you actually, like my life is different for whatever reason. It just, it made sense.
0: So, did you get so what did those first 30 to 90s 90 days look like? Did you get a sponsor like that day? Did you start going to meetings more often? Like what did the beginning of this period look like? What did you do differently?
1: Yeah, that that's uh I got well, he pulled me aside it was after the meeting was over. Um so the the following me the ne- I think I started I think I started going to meetings every day actually cuz Cause they make that 90 and 90 suggestion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went to a a men's meeting the next morning and I got a sponsor and I started showing up early to meetings. I I brought a notebook with me. I started making notes. Like I bought some books. I showed up early (laughs) and made coffee. Like I, I stayed after the meeting and talked to people. Like I did everything that was suggested and, and it was uncomfortable and I didn't like it. And, uh, you know, it, it, but I but it but I felt like I had to because at that point, you know, I had made that commitment to him like I'm gonna try this because I had I had been vulnerable for whatever reason and told him like I'm probably gonna kill myself and he's like well before you do let's try one more thing and I was like you know what fine let's do it and so I felt like I kind of owed it to him like okay I'm I'm actually gonna give this a try and so I did everything that was suggested I don't think I had an official commitment because I didn't have enough time um, but I was I was definitely. I felt like I was in charge of the coffee pot. I would, I'd make sure it was ready to go before the meeting. I would make sure it was clean after the meeting. I'd make sure we had cups and sugar and creamer and stir sticks. And I was, I owned that little table for, for several months.
0: Where are you? Let's get in. So, and that's this period of sobriety. So what, how has your life changed over the seven years since that day?
1: Wow. Uh, 180 would be like the best way to describe it. I mean, like you mentioned at the beginning of the, of the episode, like I have my own recovery podcast. Um, I feel like my entire life is centered around recovery at this point. Uh, I got married. Oh, uh, what was that? Three years ago. Now. Um, I have a nine month old daughter. I have a career that I like. Um, I applied for a different job. <laughs> Janine knows about that. Hopefully that goes He's gonna well.
0: He's going to get it. He's going to get it. He's going to get it. <laughs> I got fingers crossed. I'm
1: hoping. I'm hoping. Um but but my life today is totally different and and it's not anything like I expected it to be. I never thought that I would be like the the dad and husband and, you know, going to a job and all that kind of stuff. Like I never pictured that. Um but I love it. I love my life today. I'm busy and, and life is crazy and hectic, but I know today that I don't have to get high to deal with, with whatever life throws at me. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a life that's beyond anything I could imagine. It's a life beyond anything that I deserve because I've been, ai feel like I've been a pretty terrible person in my, in my using and and today, like I have people in my life that care about me and love me. And, you know, I, I have a sponsor. I have sponsees. I, I have a commitment at my home group that's a little bit more than making coffee. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do the recovery podcast and there's all these things in my life that are important. And there are building blocks in my life that help remind me of what I could lose if I went back out. Because today, like I see the beauty in life and I don't want to lose the things that I have because you know I, I cherish those relationships and and the things that I do in my life today.
0: Do you think because I and my audience is really familiar with this, I'm really grateful you just said you cherish the relationships in your life. I think I cherish the relationships in my life more now after my addiction than prior to having had been an addict, making me really grateful for my addiction. Is that how you feel too? Do you feel that your addiction, are you grateful for that stuff that happened? That's something I always like to ask people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would be the person I am today if if I hadn't gone through those different situations. I mean, it, it almost sounds kind of weird to say that you're grateful for your addiction. Um, but, but I really am. I feel like I learned a lot about myself. Um, and you know, I regret a lot of the things that I did. Um, you know, I, I was a pretty shitty person uh, for several years. But at the same time, like I I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my addiction, if it wasn't for recovery and and just the people that that has brought in my life. And and, and like you said on one of your episodes, like you could have been you could have been okay, just like drinking and doing coke and and gotten away with it and and lived just like a mundane life and done that. But, you know, recovery has given me a life that I never thought was possible. And, and I'm grateful for all the events that have led up to where I am today. Cause you know, if I hadn't got arrested, how much longer would I have been out there using? Or if, if that guy hadn't pulled me aside and, and told me there was a better way, like how much longer would I have suffered? You know, what, would, would I have, would I still be here, you know, there's all these questions and, and I don't know the answers to them, but I'm grateful for where I am today, and and I know that that's because of addiction and recovery. That's just yeah, you know, it's part of my story. I can't change it, and and I love where I'm at now.
0: I've already addressed it, but I, and I like that you did this. When you know the story that we tell, which for you is crashing into the living room on Super Bowl Sunday one of the re I told you this off air and you know, the audience knows one of the reasons why I have somebody tell some sort of a story like that, that sounds really like crazy or damaging. And then we try to extract something that came out of it is because I felt like, no, I've done, I've been the girl who crashed into a living room, right? Like I've been the girl who did X, Y, Z. Like I I can't ever have a life other than this. And I want to show people, no, that's not true. And in fact, you know, fortunately nobody was hurt in this incident, but in fact, this kind of a thing came out of it. And it sounds like for you, it's pretty obvious what it was, which was you were forced to go to 12 step, which, and I, I'm i glad that you got something out of that because a lot of times I get people that were mandated and that's not when they started hearing anything. But I love that because I think so many people that relapse a lot go in and out of meetings and It takes us a while. It took me a really long time. Like, I'm the biggest 12-step nerd ever. I love it. It's a design for living. I love everything about it. I did not feel that way in the beginning. I fucking hated going to meetings. I hated it. Going at 27, 28 years old, I was like, fuck you. You are not going to catch me in the basement of some church on a Saturday night for the rest of my life. Like, absolutely not. Like, there's not a life for me here. And it took me a while to learn that yeah, there is. And it's beautiful. And I, I'm so happy about it, you know? And it sounds like that got you into 12 step.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that definitely is what planted that seed. And, you know, I'm grateful that, that I had that requirement. And I'm also grateful that I wasn't smart enough to realize that it was an anonymous fellowship and I could just fill out my own sheet. Um, you know, (laughs)
0: Yeah. So don't do that. If you're listening though, and you just got mandated, don't fill it out. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) But, but for those of you that are listening that know people that are kind of in and out, in and out, in and out, and it doesn't seem like it's really taking, it might be. It took me so many times of detoxing and going to meetings over and over and over again until I could finally hear a message, you know, and, and it doesn't always take one time. And in fact, in my experience, it's rare that it's one time, boom, you're done, you know, it happens, but We have people that are either like on the cusp of wanting to get into recovery or they're very early in somebody has 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Do you have something actionable that they could start doing today or even a mindset insight that you could share that you wish you would have known early on,
1: man, man. And I I can totally relate to what you just shared about, you know, relapsing multiple times and people going in and out. And, you know, that's part of my story too. Um, So for anybody that's new, you know, Give it, give it, give yourself a break and and take some take some suggestions at the meeting. I would really encourage you to grab a notebook. You know, you can get like a cheap ass like dollar notebook and a pen and and take some notes and get some phone numbers and 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 practice practice um, active listening. That was that was something that I learned about pretty early on in recovery is like actually listening. When people are sharing, like listening for the message of recovery and, and, and taking notes and and things that stand out to me. And, and, you know, I, I have a notebook somewhere around here from like my first days of actively working my recovery that just has like quotes and different things from meetings and I can pull that out and it. It brings me back to that place in my recovery, but it also, it helps me like build this, this library of knowledge and helps me remember things that, that I heard in a meeting that I thought was, was good. So I'd say grab a a notebook and a pen and, and take some notes and, and be, be a recovery nerd. It's fun.
0: Totally. It's totally fun. You know what? That's interesting that you do that too, because I also, I'll grab onto a quote and you do that for your podcast. You pick out a quote that they said and use it. I, gra- I I like that too. I gravitate to quotes and words and the impact of that. I wonder if that's why we both got into podcasting because we obviously see a lot of value in the conversation and, and in the words that people have around the subject.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think I think for me, part of it was just and, and, and I, I don't know how to say this without it sounding bad. Cause, cause like I said, I'm a recovery nerd. Like I love, I love the literature. I love our meetings, but there was something, especially in the beginning for me and my own journey, it was the connections that I had with other people that really, really kept me here. And so I think that's part of the reason I wanted to start the podcast was to share other people's stories and to, to try to build those connections because that, that for me was like the, the beginning you know, like, that's not to say that meetings and, and literature don't have their place. Cause obviously they do without those things, we don't have a meeting. Um, but, but that was like, that was the, the, like the, the spark that really started. It was, was those relationships that I built and hearing other people that had been in similar situations.
0: What is your, do you have like a recovery routine now in terms of meditation, reading the podcast, do you have anything that you do on a daily basis for your recovery?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I get, I have the, the app on my phone and I get the daily meditation every morning. Um, usually I, I read that in the morning and, um, you know, my, my life has gotten busy and hectic lately. And so my routine doesn't look the same as it did, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. Um, but you know, today I just try to, I try to keep it simple. I, I read my daily meditation on my phone. Uh, and usually I just do like a, a quick little prayer meditation time, you know, like five minutes of me talking, five minutes of me listening. Um, and that's basically it. Like it's, it's pretty short and simple. And then, uh, you know, some evenings when I'm not at my home group or I'm not working on the podcast, I, I get into some step work and, um, you know, that's, that's basically it, man. I, I attend a few meetings a week at my home group. I, I hold a service commitment. Um, I, we actually have our business meeting in a couple of hours. Um, Day. So, uh, you know, I, I stay busy and, and try to stay active in my recovery, but it, it looks different now with almost seven years than it did in the beginning. But at the same time, some of those basic things are still there. Like I still pray, I still meditate, I still stay in the recovery literature, I still talk to my sponsor, I still go to meetings. Like some of those foundational things are still there. They just look a little bit different today. Which
0: app are you referencing? The Just for Today, the NA Just for Today reading? Yeah. My, the just for today is my favorite. So I've done steps NA and I've done steps AA, but I prefer the just for today over the daily reflections. The just for today resonates with me a lot more because I was more of a drug addict than anything else. Right. Yeah. And so when I read some of the just for today's that talk about like the being homeless and the being sick and the, I, I, that one resonates with me a little bit more. I like that one too. That's part of my routine. Nice. Okay. So before we let you go, where can everybody find you? Pitch all your stuff. You got a lot going on. Where can everybody listen to you? Of
1: course. Of course. So Janine mentioned that I do have a podcast called recovery survey. I am on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, I can't even think of all the platforms off the top of my head because I'm on the spot. But wherever you listen to podcasts, you can search Recovery Survey and find me there. I I release episodes every Wednesday in the morning time. Um, I'm also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and on all of those. It is simply Recovery Survey. Uh, I also have recently started doing a recovery live stream Uh, and it is on the recovery revolution Facebook page and that's recovery revolution 100 on Facebook. So facebook.com slash recovery revolution 100. Uh, those are every Monday night and they're anywhere from an hour to two hours and it's kind of similar. Both shows are kind of similar. I have a guest on, we talk recovery, they share their story and then we go from there. So, uh, if, if either of those is, is interesting to you, please check those out. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan.
0: I've got one more question for you. What does recovery survey mean? What's the name? What is, what's the significance for that of your podcast?
1: Well, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good question. And I asked you the same question about your, your name on my show. So, uh, huh. Um, (laughs) well, I, I kind of had a different vision for the podcast in the beginning and I tried to do a little bit different style of episode and, and it didn't really work out very well. Um, but the original idea behind the podcast was I wanted to focus, on like one question or one topic and then have multiple, basically survey multiple people in different recovery, uh, groups, different modalities and ask them all the same question and just have like little clips of answers and put it all together into one episode. Um, but most of us addicts are pretty selfish, and we want to have our own episode, and we don't want to do a five or ten minute share on a topic, and we want to be in the spotlight. So it didn't really uh, pan out the is way. Is that huh?
0: why it didn't work? Because the asshole addict guests were like, "No, I want to give you more." Essentially, is that yes. really what happened?
1: Yeah, more
0: or of less. Of course, of course, of course. That's what all the addicts said. That's hilarious to me. <laughs> that also, though, would have been a shit ton of work on your end Oh just yeah. clip, clip. You're pretty oh, good at yeah. it. You're way better editing than I am. But think about that. What are you getting? 10 guests per episode per week or at least five right say five now you're talking 20 guests a month versus four that definitely would have been it's a cool idea but I think that definitely would have been a lot of work
1: oh yeah for sure I was
0: wondering what that meant I'm glad I asked because I was like recovery survey and what I like about your show is it goes beyond just addict recovery like you talk about recovery from eating disorders and other sorts of traumas and so i thought maybe that's where the survey came in because it was a you know a survey of different recovery modalities you could go with that now though you could just that's,
1: say that yeah i'm, I'm gonna st- <laughs> i'm gonna steal that that's what it means yeah, just
0: start saying that instead <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for your time i'm so glad that we got to talk again.